0: Philippians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 25. I'm hoping by now that Epaphroditus is now a household name. Philippians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 25. The Apostle Paul writes, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all. In your service to me. This man, Epaphroditus, is only mentioned on two occasions in the whole of the Bible. Here in our text and also in chapter 4 and verse 18. The only information given about this man and his character and anything that really relates to him is found in this text before us. That makes what we're looking at quite unique and quite a unique character He is the chosen delegate of the church at Philippi to deliver a love offering which they had collected for the Apostle Paul who is presently under house arrest in Rome. The church at Philippi uh, have come together to give this gift. They have organized it, they've set it up and they've chosen this man Epaphroditus to go from Philippi to Rome and deliver these funds to their beloved apostle and unless there are other things outside of the scripture that we don't know about they have not seen the apostle Paul for probably 12 or 13 years and uh, we mentioned it last week it is very likely that Epaphroditus and Paul meet for the first time in Rome while Paul is under house arrest it's very unlikely that the two have met each other before this time Um, we have no information regarding Epaphroditus prior to This portion of scripture, but we do know also that because of a serious illness, Epaphroditus has been forced to stay a significantly longer amount of time than originally planned. You'll recall that it was between six and 12 weeks of a journey, depending on how good the weather and transportation and so forth was for Epaphroditus to come from Philippi to Rome. But somewhere between his journey or when he arrived in Rome, he is very, very ill. So much so that the expectation is that he may well die. Uh, And he is obviously in Rome for a sufficient amount of time for that information about his sickness to be communicated back to the church in Philippi. Because Paul says there uh, in verse 26 that they had heard that Epaphroditus was ill. So he must have been ill for at least six to 12 weeks and stuck there in Rome until such a time as he was recovered and able to return. It's during this time in Rome that Paul, I believe, becomes very acquainted with this man, Epaphroditus. And he begins to write some things about this man in an incredibly complimentary fashion. In verse 25, he says, he is my brother. He is my fellow worker. He is my fellow soldier. He is your messenger and minister to my need. And you'll recall, if you were here last week, we began looking at these six designations that were given to Epaphroditus. Uh, but we took a little bit of time on the second one last week. Uh, but you'll note if you were here last week, by way of review, that uh, this man, Epaphroditus, his name literally means one who belongs to Aphrodite gives us an insight into his upbringing, into the culture in which he was born and uh, the pagan system uh, in which he grew up in. But we also looked not only at his name, but also at the designation of my brother. And uh, I've had a few people say throughout the week that that has been helpful as a reminder of what the church is. Because Paul has a unique understanding of the church, which is very different from today, is it not? Church is not how Paul saw it. Paul saw it in a greater, much greater way than perhaps what most do today, and I suggested to us that there were nine aspects that we can uh, look at as it relates to the spiritual family. Let me read them to you and then we'll look at where we're headed. Last week we discussed that in understanding my brother that term, Paul understood that Epaphroditus was of the same bloodline spiritually family. Remember that church is not a foundation, it's a family. Uh, Remember that it is not a social club. Uh, It is a living, breathing organism created by God. Secondly, we noted that he is under the authority of the head. Church is under the authority of the head and the head of the church is not the pastor. The head of the church is not the pope. The head of the church is none other than the person we've been singing about all morning, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is his authority and headship. Thirdly, we noted last week that we work together for common good in being brothers and sisters in Christ. We are working and functioning together for the common good. And that common good is one thing, the glory of God. That is the common good. We're not here for ourselves. We are here for his glory. Fourthly, we notice that we're to encourage one another and spend time together. This is not something we do on a a one day a week concept. This isn't something that we we come together for. Uh, We've done our our duty today. We've had our religious obligations. Uh, Church is family. We live in one another's pockets. That's the point. We're blood bought and we are connected, unified in Jesus Christ. And we spent some time looking at the importance of encouraging one another and spending time together. Fifthly, we looked at in a normal family, in a normal church setting, there is to be discipline and restoration. But not like the church does it today. Not where we are somehow trying to kick people out of assemblies because they did something wrong. As opposed to that, we are to try and restore them and help mend those broken bones spiritually. That is what we find in the scripture. We find in a normal family, as in the spiritual family, sixthly, that there are moments of friction and times of forgiveness. Church will always have friction. You know why? Because we have people in it, because we are flesh and blood and we don't always get on and we won't always get on. Families do not always get on. But the spiritual family, though there be friction, there must also be forgiveness. And we noted that. And then seventhly, we said that uh, families grow and change. And we note that in the church... We are to grow and to change, to grow up and to be transformed and to be conformed and all of those are the terms we find in the scripture. And then we saw in our eighth point that there are rules to follow. No family operates without rules and we have the rule book in front of us. Uh, it's not my way or the highway. It's not your way or the highway. It is God's way. That is our rule book. Uh, and so there are rules to follow. The final thing we looked at last week was that we are to love and provide for one another. Sadly, we live in the 21st century where we have a government system which we are thankful for, but it has replaced the church in most aspects. We are supposed to be providing for one another. When there is a need, when the body hurts, when this bone is hurting over here or or this limb is sore, the church is to gather around. It was never the job of the government to do that for the church of Jesus Christ. It was our responsibility to look after one another, to help the widows and the afflicted and and those who are not able to uh, deal with individual matters themselves. We love and we provide. Uh, And that was the the final thing we looked at as a designation. When Paul said, my brother, he meant something quite different to what we mean. And so uh, the encouragement last week was that we would understand church for what it really is. And so this morning... If the Lord will let me, and we have sufficient time, I'm going to finish the rest of those designations for us. There are four left, uh, and uh, I want us to look at them this morning as we consider Epaphroditus a devoted servant, part two. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have your word in front of us. We thank you for the, the testimony and the example of this man, Epaphroditus. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that you would cause us each to understand some more about this man's life, Uh, that we would learn much from him, from his testimony, from his life, Uh, Lord, from uh, all that he has uh, accomplished for you, Uh, though he is virtually unknown to most of us. uh, We thank you for uh, his his position here in the scriptures, for our consideration. Help us to live more and more like this man, Epaphroditus, as he uh, was living like his savior. We thank you so much for this time in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Epaphroditus, a devoted servant... Part two, the designations last week, you might recall, was Epaphroditus, his physical name. We looked at what that meant. Then we looked at the second designation where it says here in verse 25, my brother. This morning, we move on to the third. And we notice in verse 25, Paul says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker. That's the first one we're looking at this morning. What it means to be a fellow worker. It's a precious word in the original language and it denotes union in work or toil. In fact, we find that the Greek word is translated into English as synergy. The word synergy in English is the word we get from the Greek that is found here. This word synergy, we know what that means. A working together, a coming together. We talk about the synergism uh, of corporations. They come together and they work together effectively. We talk about synergy in various different ways. But that's literally the meaning of that Greek word, a synergy, a united effort. Paul has spent some time with this man, Epaphroditus, He's been sick, Epaphroditus, for some time. And Paul observes in this man a synergy and a union that relates to the work of proclaiming the gospel. I think it's interesting to note that uh, this is Paul observing this during this man's illness. Now, that's an interesting thought because most of us, when we are ill and unwell, we're generally probably not that much fun to be around. It's not an exciting time in our life, so we don't generally you know, think, man, I'm going to love this time while I'm ill. But Epaphroditus somehow demonstrated, even in his illness that nearly led to death, uh, such a love and such a camaraderie with the Apostle Paul that Paul writes to the church he's come from, this fellow is my fellow worker. Uh, That's an interesting thought for us to consider. In other words, Paul is thrilled that Epaphroditus is toiling in his corner of the vineyard to build God's kingdom like Paul is in Rome. You'll recall, no doubt, in the uh, earlier part of the New Testament, Dr. Luke, uh, who, by the way, is uh, very likely with the Apostle uh, Paul or at least somewhere nearby him at this time, Dr. Luke records for us a time when John says, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. He's not walking around with us. And Jesus said to him, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. I don't know if you remember that in Luke chapter 9, verses 49, that time where the apostle says, but there's a man over there, he's doing some things in your name, but he's not walking alongside of us right here. And the Lord Jesus was telling a very important truth to uh, his apostles at that time, and that is that those people right there who are in the same category as us, they're disciples, they may not be walking exactly in the same place we are, but they are serving the same Christ, they're not opposed to us, they're with us. Uh, And the Apostle Paul here, I think, is pointing out something very interesting as it relates to Epaphroditus. This man is not in Rome with us. He's not with this little group here, but he's over there with another group who named the same name as Jesus Christ and are living in the same way. And we read about the Philippian church and he says, this man is a fellow worker. I believe with all of my heart that if God's people are going to make a consolidated attack on the kingdom of darkness, it is going to require synergy. It is going to require cooperation. It is going to require people working and functioning together as a church, not just as a single church, but as churches all over the place who love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to see his name lifted up. I believe that with all of my heart. Now, let me be very quick to make comment here, because some of you may already be thinking this. I am not suggesting that we become ecumenical. What I mean by ecumenical is that we get all of these different faiths together, we bring them all together and we say we are all the same thing and we try and have a consolidated effort in reaching people uh, with all of these different ideas in this group of people. That's not what we're talking about. We are not talking about uh, overlooking major theological issues. That's not what we're talking about, but we are talking about God's people who love Jesus Christ, who love his word, who stand on the sufficiency of the word and the gospel, getting together and doing something for the cause of Christ, laboring together faithfully and functionally for his glory, because the Lord Jesus in John 17 says that they may be one, that they may function in synergy. And yet today we see that in the church of Jesus Christ, we have pockets of people left, right and center, but nobody really consolidated together to work for the common good, the glory of God. Now, I recognize it's becoming harder and harder for this to be a reality because we have less and less people who are committed to God's word. We have less and less assemblies who are saying we stand on this truth. But may I say to us, it is absolutely essential that we unify and are synergized in our functioning as labourers together for God's kingdom. It's a really hard balance. It's a very hard balance to find because we cannot allow minor things to separate, but we cannot also overlook major differences. It's a hard balance when it comes to the Christian life. You know, some examples of that, I've seen people separate Because one church uses a piano and another uses a banjo. Uh, That's a minor problem. And then I've seen churches separate because they deny the sonship of Jesus Christ. That is a major problem. I've uh, seen Christians and churches separate because one wears a tie and another doesn't. That's pretty minor. I've seen churches separate because one does not preach the word. That is major. I've even heard and read articles about churches that separated because they didn't have morning tea at the same time. That's pretty minor, don't you think? And I've seen some separate because one teaches that we must pray to Mary and the other does not. That is major. Uh, We have got to come to an understanding individually and collectively upon what is fundamental... Now, that word is a word that people don't like to talk about, the fundamentalists and what that means, but I'm talking about foundational, not fundamentalist in that sense, but foundational. What are the things that are the non-negotiables? What are the things that we're not prepared to step off this platform because they are essential to what we believe? That is crucial, but then it is also crucial for us to understand what is secondary and we're prepared to say, hey, listen, brother, sister in Christ, you've got the fundamentals, you're on the same page here. We don't necessarily talk exactly exactly the same way. We don't necessarily do exactly the same things. Our practice may not be identical, but we can have a consolidated effort in preaching and teaching the word of God. That to me is a great opportunity and in fact I believe with all of my heart that I am standing before a group of people that are greatly diverse. If we were to take the time this morning to look at each individual life and look at all the differences that we have as it relates to things, I think we would be shocked. How is it that this assembly can function like this? And I believe it is for one reason only, and that is that fundamentally, foundationally, Jesus Christ is head, and while he is head and the word of God is supreme and sufficient in our midst, some of those other external matters and secondary issues are peripheral. Now, we'll deal with some of those as we get into this next year, some of the peripheral matters that we need to understand somewhat, but when it comes to laboring together, we labor together for the cause of Jesus Christ. And what I love about Paul, and what I love about Epaphroditus, and what I love about John Mark and Barnabas is that they didn't necessarily agree on absolutely everything. In fact, Peter uh, and Paul had their differences at times, and they dealt with them as they needed to. But I want us to remember that while the gospel is central, while the scripture is sufficient, we're able to carry out a co-working, labouring together, as the Apostle Paul here says. Now, I know that no matter what I say this morning, there are going to be those who swing on either side of that comment. Some are going to say, "Okay, so Pastor Daniel was saying it doesn't really matter. We can do anything we like together with everybody. Let's just have everybody in here. I'm not saying that. And I'm also not saying that we have to agree on absolutely everything here either. But I am saying this, that while the gospel is central... While Jesus Christ is the head, while the scripture is sufficient and there may be various interpretations, we can work through those. We are co-laborers together for the cause of Jesus Christ. And my Bible tells me that these two men were able to function together from different places. And so what that brings to my mind is the fact that there are other assemblies, other people that are serving the Lord. And it's our responsibility to love and pray and care for them. And even those that we may not work with and function with because there are differences, we pray for them. They're not enemies of ours. They're not those who we would hate. They're not those who we would despise or gossip or slander about. They're those to whom we pray for, those for whom we seek to help and be a blessing. And I notice the importance in our text of fellow workers, fellow laborers. They were labouring for the same reason. It's also essential for us as a point of order to note that we are not so consumed with our own toiling that we forget that others are serving in other places. That we don't, fr- we don't forget for a moment that there are those out there on a foreign mission field who are practically alone serving the Lord Jesus Christ with possible martyrdom in front of their faces at any time, at any moment, and they are fellow workers Because they stand where we stand. And we need to be mindful of them. We need to pray for them. We need to look for opportunities to be a blessing and support them. In essence, I'm saying this. Our heart should rejoice when we hear of other like-minded believers who are also abounding in the work of the Lord. That ought to rejoice our heart. Praise the Lord. There is a work going forward for the cause of Jesus Christ. But let me be specific before we move on from this point for us here today. What are you doing to serve the Lord? Now, there's a lot of talk about works, isn't there? And that Roman Catholic Church has destroyed that word because what we think today is that uh, we don't get saved by works. So we shouldn't talk about works. Let me say that's wrong. We are not saved by works. We know that to be true, but we are saved unto works. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we are to work and we are to work within the confines of a local church. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what the whole New Testament is about, how they operated and functioned in a local church. Let me ask you, what are you doing to work for the Lord? Not for others, not because I want that person to see me. What is my service What is my gift? What am I operating? What am I giving to the Lord by means of service? By the way, this is not a call to get more done around here. Okay, I've sat in church all my life and heard pastors stand behind pulpits and uh, at the end of it, they have a little flyer and say, now who wants to be on the cleaning roster? I just preached on works. Who wants to do it? Okay, That's not what we're doing here. What I'm suggesting to us is that the scripture makes a mandate for us that we're to serve. So my question is, how are you serving? How are you laboring together in synergy with the rest of the body? How are you functioning? We are fellow laborers together in Christ and we are called to serve Him together. And I think it's wonderful that there are no, there are no levels of service in the sense of what I do this morning as I preach, as I study is not greater in one sense than someone who cleans the carpet. It's not greater than someone who washes the window. We are serving and functioning together as one body. That's what the body does and as it is gifted. And so if you think, well, that's just a little sacrifice. If that is what God has put upon your heart to do here in this place for this people, then that is the greatest thing that you can do because that's what God wants you to do. So be mindful of the importance of fellow laboring, fellow worker. Notice what the Bible says here. Secondly, This morning in verse 25, Epaphroditus is my brother and fellow worker. Notice nextly. He is fellow soldier. Fellow soldier. Paul designates Epaphroditus again in the realm of union, but now specifically in the realm of conflict. Paul says, this man is unified with me in this conflict. He's a fellow soldier. He was a co-campaigner, is the literal translation. One who had experienced the difficulty of the spiritual life. This was not someone who was unfamiliar with spiritual warfare. Epaphroditus was clearly, from the way the Apostle Paul talks about, he was very aware of spiritual conflict. He bore the battle scars and the pains associated with waging a good warfare. This virtually unknown man is called a fellow soldier of Paul. That's pretty big, don't you think? This man is a fellow soldier of mine. Now, we have a tendency to esteem the Apostle Paul pretty high and, and he is uh, he is a uh, an outstanding individual as it relates to what God did with him. Uh, he's also the chief of sinners. Uh, But the Bible tells us that this man was a fellow soldier of the Apostle Paul. Let me just give you a couple of things to think about here this morning. The Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground. This was never supposed to be a walk in the park. It's a war in the present. And it's constantly in the present. Tense. The war is not in the future. The war is in the present for the Christian. See, I am convinced more than ever that we have somehow forgotten that this Christian life that God has birthed me into was not supposed to be a bed of roses. We've forgotten. We've forgotten that this is actually spiritual warfare. And if you read Ephesians chapter 6, you get a real picture of that. He says that we must be strong in the strength that comes from God because we are oppressed on every side. We're afflicted. There are things going on outside. There are things going on inside. We now have the battle with the world, the flesh and the devil. Whereas before, did you know that you were not at battle? Prior to becoming a Christian, you were not at war. You were completely submitted to that which is the natural law, the natural man. You weren't, you weren't consumed by a battle. You weren't in a battle. You were already under the lordship of the devil and his army. But now when you have an entrance into the kingdom of God, you are raging in a battle. This is a huge battle. And the battle is an internal battle. It's an external battle and it's an infernal battle. We talk about the flesh, the world and the devil. We are at war, friends. And sometimes I think we have totally forgotten that. Totally. Because when we take a survey of the current spiritual climate of church today, we find that most Christians have laid down their arms in order to follow the course of this world. We find that most have hung up their weapons and their spiritual armour is stowed away in the cupboard of complacency. We're just with the culture now. We're just we're in it, whereas we're supposed to be fighting against the forces of darkness, against sin, standing on the truth. Uh, we're supposed to be a bastion of truth in a place of darkness. And yet I find and you find if you survey it carefully that most Christians have raised the white flag. It's OK. I'm uh, I'm not real serious about this battle seems to be the attitude of most. Because a good soldier of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, wages a good warfare. He endures hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He's not caught up in the affairs of this life. That's what Timothy tells us there in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3. When we speak of being engaged in the fight, we're not talking about the physical realm. We're not talking about going into battle. We're not talking about that physical activity, but we are talking about actively wrestling the powers of darkness because the spirit of God lives within us. We're able to wage a good warfare. It's active engagement. It's not passive observing. Epaphroditus is a fellow soldier. Some believe that Epaphroditus was the pastor at the church at Philippi or one of them. Um, We read in the very first verse of Philippians that there were both elders and deacons at the church there at Philippi. It's a possibility that Epaphroditus was one of those elders. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But we do know this, that whoever he was, he was engaged in warfare. For Paul to say, you are fighting alongside of me, he must have been pretty serious. Because back in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, nobody... Nobody's really fighting with me. Nobody's in this with me. And even those who are opposed to me, uh, they they, they are opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter one. And they're doing something for God's cause. But he says it's it's, a pretty lonely battle. But Epaphroditus is a fellow soldier. I wonder, as you take inventory of your own life, can you say that you are waging a good warfare? Can you say that daily I pick up my arms? Daily I don on the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and I go out to battle against the darkness and sometimes I realise that when I do it in my own flesh I lose and I, and I, I lose that battle for the day but daily I am seeking to win the war against evil. I'm seeking to win against darkness. Are you a fellow soldier, I wonder? We see, thirdly, that the Apostle Paul says he wants to send Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And then he changes it. He says, and your messenger, messenger. By this, he means one who is sent on a specific mission or task. It's an interesting thing, this word here, messenger, is the same word that is often used for the word apostle in the English. Apostle, one who is sent on a mission, a delegate. Now we need to be careful with this because some would have us believe that every time the word apostle appears, it deals with the office of an apostle and that's not true. That was a general Greek word that could be used for, if I send someone out to go and do an errand for me, they are an apostle of mine to do something. That is different to the role of an apostle which was given to someone by Jesus Christ specifically for a specific task for a specific time. That's different to what is being said here. But we do mean this. This man was an apostle of the church at Philippi. He was sent with a mission and he completed that mission. This was a reliable, consistent man who did that. He didn't pocket the extra money that was there in uh, that love offering he uh, he faithfully made sure that he completed his mission. It's interesting to note that every Christian has, in one sense, an apostleship. Every Christian. We are not apostles. The apostles are finished. That concept of an apostle is finished in its office and the work of an apostle is done. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 tells us that the apostle and the prophets were the foundation of the church not to be continued. That office is finished. But we have in one sense an apostleship and that apostleship, that mission is found in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 where the apostle Paul says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, but you reconciled to God. You know what Paul says? He says, you have an apostleship. That is a mission. Your mission is this. You are my ambassadors. Not Paul's, Christ's. You are Christ's ambassadors. In fact, uh, when the Lord Jesus was ascending, just before his ascension from the Mount of Olives, just outside of Bethany there in Acts chapter 1, he says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the world. Now, he was talking specifically to the disciples gathered there when he ascended, but by extension, we know that we too are witnesses. We are apostles, in one sense of that word, sent out delegates with a purpose. It's not optional. You know what I hear today, and uh, I've shared this with us before, I hear today people asking this question, are you a witness for Jesus Christ? That's not a correct question. If you are saved, you are a witness. The question is, am I a faithful witness? Am I a good witness? Not, am I a witness because Jesus says that the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you are, you shall be my witnesses. Every Christian is a witness of Jesus Christ. If he has changed your life, you have witnessed something. You are an evidence of that. The question is, am I a good evidence? Am I an exalting evidence? Am I a faithful witness in his cause? We've been delegated a task. Epaphroditus was delegated a task. And we have been charged with delivering the good news of the gospel. I love what David Livingston wrote. I've lately been reading a great deal of biographies and I tell you it is, uh, it is life changing. David Livingston said this. If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honour, and it is, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? If when a king says, go do this, we say, oh, yeah, I'll do that for you, my king. No problem. How is it when it comes to Jesus Christ, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who says, go and be my ambassador and be a faithful ambassador? We say, oh, that's too much sacrifice. Oh, that's too hard. You're asking too much of me. And yet an earthly king, we count it an absolute privilege to be an, an ambassador for the king. And yet that's. The truth of our role. Paphroditus was a faithful messenger and a apostle, a sent one. Would that be the epitaph of your life, church? Or are we so consumed with our culture? Are we so consumed with our own agendas and our own plans that, you know what, I'm just going to lay aside my role as an ambassador and a witness and one who is supposed to be bearing the glory of God to others. I'm going to lay that aside in order to fulfill my own goals and passions. If that is the case, we are not consecrated because a consecrated, surrendered Christian is one who says anything, oh Lord, you want to send me, I'll go wherever. You want to send me from Philippi to Rome and possibly I may lose my life on that journey. It's a treacherous journey. There's a voyage, there's the sea, there's robbers. I'm prepared to go anywhere. I'm prepared to do anything. This is a call to consecration and surrender here. And we see that Epaphroditus was such A man who said, yes, I will go. I'm your man. You know, I think it's interesting that in Isaiah chapter 6, we find that the Lord, the God of heaven, this blows my mind, is looking for a man to serve him. And he says, who can I send? Who will go for me? Who is it? Is there anybody out there who is interested in serving me? Is there anybody who's willing to be consumed with my goals, with my plans? And Isaiah responds, having seen the glory of God, says, then said I, here am I, send me. I wonder this morning, are there some of us here who know that God has called us to more, if I may say, more than just coming to church on a Sunday? God has called us to more than just meeting together once a week or twice a week or or doing a little bit of fellowship here and there. But God has put something on my heart that I need to do. And I know he wants me to do it, but I'm not prepared to do it because I want to do my own thing. God has called us to absolute surrender. And every day of our life, it ought to be, Lord, whatever you want is what I want. Your will is what I want to perform. May your will be done. We're supposed to pray. You know why the Lord Jesus gave his disciples that prayer? That thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what that is? That's actually surrender on my part. May your will be done. Not just out there, but in here too. In here. What does the Lord have for you that you are unprepared to do? What service is he calling you to? That you say, no, Lord, I won't do that. About 12 years ago, I was preaching uh, in a church uh, a fair distance from here. <clears throat> and I, uh, I actually, I believe I was preaching on Isaiah chapter 6, the call of God. And uh, an older man came to me after the service with tears in his eyes. I think he was late 60s, maybe early 70s. Uh, and he came and he said, uh, thank you so much for that message. It was a great challenge. I want to just tell you my little story. And uh, with tears in his eyes... Uh, He said, 45 perhaps years ago, he said, God called me to serve him in a foreign mission field. And he said, I have ever since then been saying no. And he said, my life has been full of upheavals. And he said, I know that God has been seeking my attention for 45 years, but I would not go. And he said to me on that occasion, the Lord has reminded me yet again of his call. And if I'm able and God provides it, I will go now. At 70 or whatever it was. And I filled my eyes were filled with tears as I heard that and thought not of the joy that he might go and not that the Lord had used that message. But oh, filled with the sadness of what could have been had a man said, yes, I will do it. I will go, I will surrender, I will be what you want me to be. And we're not just talking about full-time service, folks. This is not just, hey, listen, how many of us are going to go to a foreign mission field today? Let's all walk down an aisle and surrender. That's not what this is about. This is about in every detail of my life. Somehow we put a great uh, emphasis on that which is a greater service over there on the mission field. This is a call to everyday service for Christ. There's a call to consecration every moment. Because you know what? If I consecrate, it doesn't matter whether he sends me to Africa or down to the grocery store in Alexandra, I'll be willing to go. It doesn't matter where or what he wants me to do. If I will just consecrate, if I'll just surrender. Wow, what a life it'll be. And may I say, without it being a point to me, this is not what I want this to be, but I can tell you from experience There is nothing like a surrendered life. I know that I know that I know that I am standing where God wants me. I know it and there's a joy in it. There is such a thrill in it to know and I'm not always where I need to be in every sense at all but I do know that when I'm consecrated and when I am where I'm supposed to be there is a thrill that this world doesn't give me only through Jesus Christ and it is an incredible life. Let me encourage you, what is it that is stopping you from being totally consecrated to Jesus Christ? Because when you get to that place I promise you with all of my life that I have learned in this that there will be nothing like that place it won't necessarily be easy it won't necessarily be filled with uh, you know you won't suddenly go man this is so good there's never any more trials the apostle paul in the center of god's will had all kinds of trials but he was able to say though my outer though my outer man is perishing my inner man is renewed day by day the joy of the lord fills my life ambassadors messengers Epaphroditus, a faithful messenger. Is that you? The last thing I want us to note here in this passage is that he was not only their messenger, but he was also a minister to Paul's needs. And with this, we will close. A minister. The final designation, that of minister. The word used here in the Greek is most often described in Greek literature for a public servant. That is one who is engaged in service for a king. In this context, Epaphroditus had not only passed on the money from the church at Philippi, but the word also suggests that he had been busy serving this apostle Paul. Here's the picture. He takes this money as a minister, a public servant, one who has been given that job and off he goes. But then he comes to the Apostle Paul and what seems to be pervasive in this aspect is that he has a humble attitude. Even while he's sick, he is serving. He is a constant server. That's why we called him a devoted servant. This man understood what it was to serve, even in spite of sickness, even in spite of uh, unseemly circumstances. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Bible tells us that we are bond slaves of Jesus Christ. A bond slave is one who has committed voluntarily their entire life to Jesus Christ talk about consecration, talk about surrender. That's who we are. That's what we are. We are bond slaves of Jesus Christ. We're identified as being owned by him. When he purchased us and redeemed us by his precious blood, he changed us from the kingdom of darkness of whose we were his servant into the kingdom of light and now we are under and in the service of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing because when you look at all the different metaphors in Scripture, in one place we are his son, in one place we're part of his family, in one place we're this and that adopted, but at another time we are bond slaves of our master. And in that metaphor we understand his lordship. This man here was a public servant. He was one who was specifically enrolled and engaged in God's service as a servant. He was reliable, he was dependable, he was faithful, he was humble, and he was prepared to do anything for the Lord. How would you like to be known as a bond slave? Most of us uh, I'd rather I'd rather CEO, that sounds better. I'd rather some other president or principal, but in actual fact, when we boil it down to its very basics, every Christian is a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Uh, And the Bible tells us that that's not just a part-time calling. That's not just something we do here and there. That is life. Are you reliable? Are you dependable? Are you faithful? These attributes seem to be exceedingly rare in this day and age, particularly in the church. And yet God has called us to be reliable and dependable and faithful. Serving in menial ways when nobody's looking. Serving even when we're weak. Serving when we're tired. And please don't misunderstand. We're not saying that, you know, we ought not to be resting. We ought not to be uh, taking time. out. That's not what this is about. This is about, though, a life of service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus Would to God there were more men like Epaphroditus today in the church, faithfully fulfilling the tasks commissioned and doing so with an attitude of a servant. I'm not sure what the Lord has for you out of this message this morning and I trust that the Holy Spirit will specifically drive a truth home, but here are some questions as we close. Are you occupied in the work? Are you occupied in the work? Are you engaged in the battle? Are you a faithful ambassador? Are you consecrated to his call? Are you a humble servant? Are you submissive? Are you devoted fellow laborer, fellow soldier, messenger and minister? Such was Epaphroditus. How about you? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Epaphroditus, for this man who displays some incredible attributes, demonstrating a sincere walk with you, one that the Apostle Paul commended greatly. Uh, And, Lord, we we thank you for what we know of him, the little that we know. And, Lord, we pray that we would strive to emulate a life such as this. Uh, Lord, having perhaps come from various backgrounds, as did Epaphroditus, perhaps from pagan circumstances, and yet confronted at some time with the gospel, uh, enrolled into service, and faithfully obeying the call of God, specifically as it relates to traveling from Philippi to Rome when nobody else would. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would cause us to have the same fervor, the same passion, the same devotion. Uh, and that, Lord, you would uh, cause these truths that we have looked at for a few moments this morning uh, to be a great challenge to us uh, as we would seek to serve you ourselves as devoted and consecrated servants of Jesus Christ. We thank you, and may we be uh, soldiers who are not just enlisted, but engaged. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.